the story of the talents tends to be a very troubling story in our gospel. And I would ask that you hear this story today and know that talents are not only things that we are especially gifted with, but talents in the New Testament times and before, a talent is the largest unit of measure for measuring money. A talent would be like a billion dollars. So as we hear this story, let us hear the great generosity of the master. Jesus tells this parable, For it as is as if a man going on a journey summoned his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents, and see, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and scattering where you did not, sowing where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, 
even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless, unused servant, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, your word challenges us. Your word seeks to pull the rug out from under our feet. Your word stirs imagination and raises questions. And so, loving God, we ask that you tell us what we need to hear. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. It was the kind of ride that was so frightening that we were in absolute terror waiting in line. The signs told us not to ride this ride if we had heart problems or back problems, if we were pregnant or thinking about getting pregnant, if we were prone to dizziness or hysteria, and we were warned of sudden drops, sharp turns, G-force spinning, and flashing lights. As we stood in line, we watched the exit signs go by as we came closer to our demise. And we wondered whether or not we should just slip out one of those exit doors and move on to another less terrifying ride. And then we saw the sign that said, you must be this tall in order to ride this ride. There were four-year-olds who were this tall and, in fact, in line and getting on this ride. And so we were reminded that what we believe about something can greatly shape our experience of that thing. It was a thrilling ride. It was amazing. It was this roller coaster with this simulated, it was Harry Potter, okay? All right, we were there in this three-dimensional IMAX thing going through it, and Voldemort and Bellatrix put spells on us, and at one point, the snake Nagini came over the edge it was thoroughly and totally, entirely awesome. We went on it again and again and again. <laughs> yes, we were in Universal Studios Orlando last week. What we believe matters. I often preach about the difference between belief and faith. Belief alone, as in the intellectual assent to 
specific requirements of what we must believe in that become a checklist for salvation, such as believe Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Check. Believe in the virgin birth. Check. Believe in the inerrancy and literalness of Scripture. Check. In contrast to believing in the existence or in specific requirements, I speak of faith as an experience of God. That faith and a life of faith means practicing our faith. It means not only believing in God, but more so meeting God in prayer. Knowing the Holy Spirit when we sing. Feeling the presence of Christ when we are visited by a deacon. This is faith that is practiced. Faith is more of a verb than a noun. We experience God. Faith is of God. Having said that, I want to turn back to belief. Because what we believe does matter. But I'm not going to talk about belief in God. I'm going to talk about belief about God. What we believe about God matters. For the one in which we encounter in prayer What do we believe about that God? What do we believe about Jesus who is walking with us in our faith? What do we believe about the Holy Spirit? What do we believe will shape our lives of faith? Now, there was a professor of mine in seminary, Dr. James Cone, who stood before us in the introduction to theology. And Cone was this, this, is this short little African-American man who is an amazing theologian, but his voice is this very kind of high, squeaky voice. You looked at the man, you heard the voice, and you couldn't quite see how that voice came out of that person. And he would say to us, you are all theologians. You are all doers of theology. And it's like, well, we're in introduction to theology. Hello. But what he meant was every single one of us has a theology of what we think about God. And we construct this and we use our teachings and what we've heard in popular culture and our readings and in our Bible studies and in going to church, what we believe about God. You are a theologian. And sometimes it's important to take out our theology and look at it and examine it carefully, and if we need to, update it. On our first look, our gospel text to the day is a terrifying story that portrays Jesus because this is about Jesus as allegorically Jesus is the one who came and the one who will come back. Jesus is the one in this story 
who can be seen as punishing, unfair, and even cruel. And don't we work against the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer? Not to mention this whole art of darkness and grinding of teeth. How many of us grind our teeth? When we're reading the scripture, we might very well look for an exit door in the gospel before we get here, because this is a ride we just don't want to take. Matthew tells this story to people who are waiting. Christ had come. Christ had promised that he would come again. And that when he came, God's kingdom of justice and peace and love would be complete. Well, it's been 50 years. And people had thought that Jesus was going to be right back. But it wasn't happening that way. And people were growing weary of waiting. And so Matthew tells this story to people who are waiting in the meantime of what it means to be faithful. This is a story to help us think about what we believe about God and Jesus Christ. So we look at the story, and before the master goes away, he's given over everything, his property. He's given over the kingdom of God that Jesus has spoken about and taught about and lived, given away his life to his servants, and this story is ridiculous because the talents, the money, is so great, it's ludicrous. We can hear the hyperbole in this story. God in Jesus has handed over billions and billions of dollars, and it goes away doesn't say what to do with it. And two of the servants are like, wow, can you believe this? And they go. And they go out and they do things with the money. Even if it's to make more money, it's going to be used for the kingdom of God. They're working and taking risks and using imagination and creativity. I sincerely doubt that the master would have been angry if they lost it, if they had taken risks. And they are full of joy. Look what I've done. See what I've accomplished. The hospital for the blind. The endowment for the hospital. Look at what I have done. There's daring joy that they have known in doing good. The third servant had a different set of beliefs about the master, for he believed that the master was unjust and harsh. 
Now, mind you, the master handed him over a billion dollars. And if we are thinking about Jesus, Jesus was never cruel. Jesus was never unjust. This one took no joy in the opportunity. He took no risks. He waited in fear of being punished. He buried everything in the ground. There was no joy but only fear, only despair. He's already in the outer darkness. And again, I will ask, what is your theology, and are you going to bed at night grinding your teeth, and what is that all about? I believe we have enough fear in our lives. This past week, we got a, a, a notice home from school about Ebola and what signs to look for in our children about Ebola and a whole nother separate sheet about what to, when we were supposed to keep our children home from school. Now that was a separate sheet, so that could have been about the flu or anything else, but they came together. Imagine sitting down with your children and explaining these pieces of paper. I think we have enough fear in our lives. Don't we fear the impact of economic disparity or that our credit card information is going to be hacked? This week we were reminded in this congregation of the precariousness of life. What does God want from us? How do we live in faith? How will we use our time? What do we believe about God? Our beliefs about God as one who is joyous and generous, or one whom we are to fear. And we may not consciously even know we are doing this, but sometimes it happens that when tragedy strikes, we begin to ask, why did this happen to me? What did I do? What test is God giving me? And can you hear putting the blame on God as if God would ever punish anyone with illness or disease? Sometimes things just happen. Are you looking for God in the illness and disease? Or are you looking for God in the support and the care? We have a choice, Matthew says. We can serve one of extreme goodness, or we can be afraid. Over and over, our scripture tells us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you. 
Do not be afraid, for I am God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you in my victorious right hand. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Jesus, to the disciples in the boat, take heart. Do not be afraid. It is I. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And to the shepherds, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. Do not be afraid. I know that you are seeking Jesus of Nazareth. He is not here. He has been raised. I have been inspired by those who live lives in joy and in risk, using all that God has given them. I am inspired by the life of Jenny Chesky, who was one such person in our congregation, who passed away just two weeks ago tomorrow. I am inspired by so many of you in this congregation. Because you live joyous lives. With more faith than fear. I came across this story from Reuters news service, and it's a story about a, a nurse in Liberia who's working with the Ebola patients. And she said, there are hard days, and there are really good days when we see people get better. One of my favorites, she says, who is getting better right now is a man from Sierra Leone, and he came here really, really sick. I was in my personal protection equipment, and he could not believe I put my hands on him. He said, you're touching me. You're not afraid of me. She says, I love it. I absolutely love it. I'm extending my stay to the end of the year. We have a choice about what we believe about God and how those beliefs will shape our lives. I pray we can stop grinding our teeth a little and take joy in the God of extreme generosity goodness, who invites us into a life of daring adventure and love, risk-taking love, and immense joy. Amen.